Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know what the two lead stories are tonight all over the news? That uh, Donald Trump Jr. has reached some kind of deal to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee, and that Don McGahn is subpoenaed by Gerald Nadler, and if he doesn't show up and testify, despite the uh, the executive branch is uh, uh, raising objections, um, then he will be held in contempt. So this is all nonsense. Who really cares, to be perfectly honest with you? What they're doing to McGahn and the White House is outrageous. What they're doing to Don Jr. is outrageous. You ought to hear the top of the news that I have to listen to. Is it CNN? What the hell is it, Mr. Producer? Oy. It's real low class. It's real low class. So I'm thinking, what, what do I dress today? You know, I spend a lot of time doing research, pulling things together. There's all kinds of things going on there. Court battle already in front of an Obama judge over uh, fast-tracking subpoenas. We know uh, that Attorney General Barr, and he has turned out to be as solid as can be. And I mean as a matter of law, not politics. Um, he's picked a, a U.S. attorney in Connecticut to expand the investigation into how this... Uh, this greatest scandal in American history was triggered. And I'm talking about the effort to uh, spy on and destroy the Trump campaign. And there's a great deal more to discuss. Still, the Democrats are rallying behind Rashidi Tlaib. I mean, that needs to be addressed because the Democrats are rallying behind an anti-Semite. It's pretty remarkable. But that's not how I want to begin this program. That's why we're called the cleanup hitter, the cleanup show, after the long day of going through the predictable points. I want to talk at a little bit of length, not extensive length, about the history of the media. You see a lot of this going on, a lot of this giving you headaches and frustrations, just constant static. Harvard professor and historian Bernard Bailyn, and many of you may not have heard of him, but he really is truly an iconic historian. He's 96, 95, 97 years old. Uh, he's been a professor at Harvard for a very, very long time. He's likely studied more of the early pamphlets, the early pamphlets, pre-revolution, Revolutionary War pamphlets, than any other scholar in America. And what did he find about our earliest reporters, if you will? That, quote, influential in shaping the thought of the revolutionary generation were the ideas and attitudes associated with the writings of Enlightenment rationalism. Do you think anybody in the media today knows what Enlightenment rationalism is? No. Writings that express not simply the rationalism of liberal reform, but that of enlightened conservatism as well. 
In pamphlet after pamphlet, these American writers cited John Locke on natural rights and on the social and governmental contract Montesquieu and later Delhomme on the character of British liberty and on the institutional requirements of its attainment, he writes. Do you think there's a reporter today who knows anything about any of those men? Now, the pamphlets, of which there were several hundred between 1750 and 1776, where Balin writes, explicit as well as declarative and expressive of the beliefs, attitudes, and motivations, as well as of the professed goals of those who led and supported the revolution. And they confirmed that the revolution was, above all else, an ideological constitutional struggle and not primarily a controversy between social groups undertaken to force changes in the organization of society. This is a quote. This is very important. They were not interested in fundamentally transforming America. They were interested in expressing their liberty, their unalienable rights. It confirmed that intellectual developments in the decades before independence led to a radical idealization and rationalization of the previous century and of the American experience, and that it was this intimate relationship between revolutionary thought and the circumstances of life in 18th century America that endowed the revolution with its peculiar force and made of it a transforming event. So therefore, as I point out, while the revolution was undeniably a transforming event, it was not about fundamental transformation of American civil society itself, as Barack Obama would proclaim about his own election. Furthermore, its purpose and principles were the antithesis, antithesis of and incompatible with the philosophies that undergird modern progressive movement, such as those espoused by Karl Marx, and Hegel, and later progressive intellectuals, Woodrow Wilson, John Dewey, and so forth. Professor Balin makes the critical point that what was essentially involved in the American Revolution was not the disruption of society, with all the fear, despair, and hatred that entails, but the realization, the comprehension and fulfillment of what was taken to be America's destiny in the context of world history. The great social shocks that in the French and Russian revolutions sent the foundation of thousands of individual lives crashing into ruins had taken place in America in the course of the previous century, slowly, silently, almost imperceptibly. Not as a sudden avalanche, but as myriads of individual changes and adjustments would have gradually transformed the order of society. By 1763, the great landmarks of European life had faded in their exposure to the open wilderness and environment of America. But until the disturbances of the 1760s, predecessors to the revolution, these changes had not been seized upon as grounds for a reconsideration of society and politics. And so by the end of 1776, Americans came to think of themselves as in a special category, uniquely placed by history to capitalize on, to complete and fulfill the promise of man's existence. The changes that had overtaken their provincial societies, they saw, had been good. Elements not of deviance and retrogression, but of betterment and progress. Not a lapse in primitivism, but an elevation to a higher plane of political and social life than had ever been reached before. 
Balin writes, it was the most creative period in the history of American political thought. Everything that followed assumed and built upon its results. And so you see, ladies and gentlemen, when the Democrat Party, when the media, when the progressive left rejects our history, they're rejecting everything that followed from that history and all that was built upon its results. Balin states that the pamphlets published before and during the revolution and American independence were so important that, quote, everything essential to the discussion of those years appeared, if not original, then in reprints, in pamphlet form. The treaties, the sermons, the speeches, the exchanges of letters published as pamphlets, even some of the most personal polemics, all contain elements of this great transforming debate. Are we having a great transforming debate today, ladies and gentlemen? More on that in a moment. Indeed, Balin writes, expressing vigorous, polemical, and more often than not, considered views of the great events of the time, proliferating in chains of personal vitrupution uh, and, 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 and embodying to the world the highly charged sentiments uttered on commemorative occasions. Pamphlets appeared year after year and month after month in the crisis of the 1760s and 1770s. More than 400 of them, bearing on the Anglo-American controversy, were published between 1750 and 1776. Over 1,500 of them appeared by 1783. I'm giving you some of your history, your history, about how we got freedom of the press. Now, one of the great pamphlets, of course, and one of the great pamphleteers was Thomas Paine. Although a recent immigrant from Britain coming to Philadelphia in October 1774. Paine became a decisive force for American independence. On July 10, 1776, Paine's essay, Common Sense, was published as a pamphlet. First appeared in one newspaper. Only 48 pages long and written in plain English, the pamphlet spread throughout the colonies. The Constitution Center points out it sold an amazing 120,000 copies, and I want you to think about that. There are only a few million people. And an estimated 500,000 copies by the end of the revolution. An estimated 20% of colonists owned a copy of the pamphlet. Numerous newspapers also reprinted it in whole or part. It is ind indispensable when writing about the press, then and now, to examine key elements of this enormously influential pamphlet and the ideas and principles it promoted contrasted with the ideas and principles of the modern media and what they promote today, the progressive ideology. So we'll take a little break. When we come back, I hope you find this somewhat compelling because this is your history. And I'll be right back. Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens 
and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit Imprimus.Hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. fascinating by the way writing this book getting deep into the history of the press moving into various surveys and polls studying propaganda studying pseudo events uh, applying these issues to current events to the way the current president is treated the way past presidents were treated it really was quite a uh, quite a mission which is why it takes the amount of time that it takes and, uh, by the way, vituperation was the word I was trying to pronounce earlier. Oops, sorry, folks. Let me see if I can cut that out. In any event, um, the point is that uh, this, is, this book is about a journey. It's an explanation about a journey, where we came from and how we got to this point, particularly when it comes to freedom of the press. And so, Thomas Paine... On January 10, 1776, he writes Common Sense, and it is a massive hit. And it is read throughout the colonies. It's read at pubs, it's read at the dinner table, it's discussed at great length. And of course, he wasn't the first. There are other pamphleteers, as I just mentioned. And what were they pushing? They didn't pretend to be seeking objective truth in terms of news. They sought to be promoting objective truth in terms of principles and philosophy. Unlike the media today, which pretends that most of them to be seeking objective truth, but is pushing the opposite of what the original printers, pamphleteers, newspaper men were printing and pushing. They're pushing the opposite. So he writes this, and it's profound. Some writers have so confounded society with government as to leave little or no distinction between them. Whereas they're not only different, but of different origins. Society is produced by our wants and government by our wickedness. The former promotes our happiness positively by uniting our affections. The latter, negatively, by restraining our vices. The one encourages intercourse, the other creates distinctions. The first is a patron, the last is a punisher. Society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil. In its worst state, an intolerable one. For when we suffer or are exposed to the same miseries by a government, which we might expect in a country without government, our calamity is heightened by reflecting that we furnish the means by which we suffer. And as the colonies increase in population and distance grows between members of society, 
And as public concerns multiply, a government of representatives small in size and confined in power becomes necessary, writes Payne, to, quote, establish a common interest with every part of the community, and they will mutually and naturally support each other. I draw my idea of the form of government from a principle in nature which no act can overturn. That is, that the more simple anything is, the less liable it is to be disordered, and the easier repaired when disordered. Paine believed in the primacy of individual liberty. He was hostile to large institutions and averse to taxation and government regulation. For the modern progressive movement and its media voices and scribes today, Paine's conception of government is too messy and too dispersed to allow for required expert decision-making and scientific planning required of a centralized administrative state. And then Paine attacks the British monarchy and hereditary succession. He says, There is a greater distinction for which no truly natural or religious reason can be assigned, and that is the distinction of men into kings and subjects. Male and female are distinctions of nature, good and bad the distinctions of heaven. But how a race of men came into the world so exalted above the rest and distinguished like some new species is worth inquiring into and whether they are the means of happiness or misery to mankind. Payne goes on. England, since the conquest, has known some few good monarchs, but grown beneath as much larger number of bad ones. Yet no man in his senses can say that their claim under William the Conqueror is a very honorable one. A French bastard landing with an armed banditti and establishing himself king of England against the consent of the natives is in plain terms a very paltry, rascally origin. It certainly hath no divinity in it. However, it is needless to spend much time in exposing the folly of hereditary right if there are any so weak as to believe it. Let them promiscuously worship the ass and lion. And welcome. I shall neither copy nor their humility, nor disturb their devotion. So, the progressive and modern media would agree with Paine's condemnation of monarchy and hereditary succession. But what of the enormous power exercised today by lifetime-appointed judges, who micromanage more and more of society, unelected bureaucrats employed by scores of government departments and agencies, who legislate not through elected members of Congress, but the issuance of untold regulations and rules, and the surrendering of sovereign legal and policy authority to international organizations, thereby conferring governing decisions to organizations that exist outside the Constitution's framework. Is this a Republican design of representative government of which Thomas Paine and his fellow countrymen would approve? Yet this is the design and increasing reality of progressive governance promoted by the modern mass media. This book comes out in one week. The history lesson goes beyond what I just read to you. Unfreedom of the Press. Get your copy really fast at Amazon.com. I'll be back. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. 
Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. In a world of pathetic liberal potholes, he's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Now... Have you ever heard of Bobby Azarian, Ph.D., a cognitive neuroscientist affiliated with George Mason University, a freelance journalist? His work has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Times, BBC Future, Scientific American, Slate, The Huffington Post, Quartz, and others. Well, he earned a place in my new book, too. Now, why? On September 23, 2016... He wrote a piece in Psychology Today, borrowing from other articles, too. Again, this is I'm trying to dis- show you how things have changed over time. The seriousness of the, the pamphleteers back in the pre- and revolutionary period and the revolutionary period, and now this. And he said in the Psychology Today that Quote, the only thing that might be more perplexing than the psychology of Donald Trump is the psychology of his supporters. You, the American people, tens of millions of you. In their eyes, the Donald can do no wrong. Even Trump himself seems to be astonished by this phenomenon. Azarian, therefore, undertake the superhuman task of psychoanalyzing tens of millions of the president's supporters. He does it with some help from his lofty perch at Psychology Today. And he writes, So how exactly are Trump loyalists psychologically or neurologically different from everyone else? What's going on in their brains that makes them so blindly devoted? And he argues there's four possibilities. The Dunning-Kruger effect. Some believe that many of those who support Donald Trump do so because of ignorance. Basically, they're underinformed or misinformed about the issues at hand. Second possibility is hypersensitivity to threat. Science has unequivocally shown that the conservative brain has an exaggerated fear response when faced with stimuli that may be perceived as threatening. These brain responses are automatic and not influenced by logic or reason. Fear keeps Trump's followers energized and focused on safety. Or a third possibility, terror management theory. When people are reminded of their own mortality, which happens with fear-mongering, they will more strongly defend those who share their worldviews and national or ethnic identity and act out more aggressively towards those who do not. And by constantly emphasizing existential threat, Trump creates a psychological condition. 
that makes the brain respond positively rather than negatively to bigoted statements and divisive rhetoric. First, I thought this was tongue-in-cheek, must be some kind of joke. But it wasn't. Or the fourth and last possibility, high attention engagement. Essentially, the loyalty of Trump supporters may in part be explained by America's addiction with entertainment and reality TV. He keeps us on the edge of our seat, and for that reason, some Trump supporters will forgive anything he says. They're happy as long as they're kept entertained. But don't worry, the author of this, Azarian, assures us that these explanations do not apply to all Trump supporters. In fact, some are likely intelligent people who know better, but are supporting Trump to be rebellious or to introduce chaos into the system. They may have such distaste for the establishment and Hillary Clinton that their vote for Trump is a symbolic middle finger directed at Washington. Azarian's disdainful attitude about Trump and his supporters, frankly, is typical and widespread throughout newsrooms. The Democratic Party press is incurious about and even blind to objective truth and reality that surrounds them. That's how they miss the 2016 election, ladies and gentlemen. That's how they miss everything. Is this interesting to anybody? I hope so. And these are just little nuggets. A little, little taste here and there of what's in the unfreedom of the press. Now, I'll tell you what I found fascinating when I was doing my research. There was a piece by William Ron, believe it or not, CBS News Digital Political Correspondent. And he wrote right after the election, November 11, 2016. Here's in part what he said. Listen to this. The mood in Washington press corps is bleak and deservedly so. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that, with a few exceptions, we were all tacitly or explicitly with her, meaning Hillary, which has led to a certain anguish in the face of Donald Trump's victory. More than that, and more importantly, we also missed the story. After having spent months mocking the people who had a better sense of what was going on, this is all symptomatic of modern journalism's great moral and intellectual failing. It's unbearable smugness. Trump knew what he was doing when he invited his crowds to jeer and hiss the reporters covering him. They hate us and have for some time. And can you blame them? Journalists love mocking Trump supporters. Remember what I just read from Azarian. We diagnosed them as racists in the way Dark Age clerics confused medical problems with demonic possession. Journalists at our worst see ourselves as priestly caste. We believe we not only have access to the indisputable facts, but also a greater truth, a system of beliefs, divine from an advanced understanding of justice. This is all white lash, you see. White lash. Trump voters are said to be racist and sexist, so there must be more racist and sexist than we even realized. Journalists increasingly don't even believe in the possibility of reasoned disagreement. And as such, ascribe cynical motives to those who think about things a different way. As a direct result, we get it wrong with greater frequency. Out on the road, we forget to ask the right questions. We can't even imagine the right question. We go into assignments too certain that what we find will serve to justify our biases. And he was right, wasn't he? And his wise counsel has fallen on deaf ears, hasn't it? 
In fact, after he wrote this, the Democratic Party press, after Trump's election, unleashed a relentless and hellish campaign of insult and condemnation against the president and against the people who voted for him. And this, in part, is what unfreedom of the press is about. Why did I start off with this book today? By the way, it comes out in one week. Why did I start off with this book today? I'll tell you why I've been thinking about this. I have an interview with uh, Sean Hannity Friday night on his program. I have an interview with uh, Jesse Waters that will air Saturday. On my own program, Pete Hegseth and I on Life, Liberty, and Levin will be discussing this. Fox and Friends on Tuesday. Brett Baer on Tuesday. And more. The Christian Broadcasting Network, other programs too, I just can't remember everything. As well as throughout the radio world. And these interviews are just not going to be long enough to explain everything that's in the book. I don't mean, you know, to read it one front cover to back cover. That's not my point. So there's no better place than really to to move this discussion, this journey, which I hope the nation will have, or at least half of us, but behind this microphone. Behind this microphone. You have people with books out now that simply have transcriptions of interviews over the years. You know, one person recommended that I do that. I said, I'm not going to rip off my my audience and just take transcripts. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Take transcripts of some of my better interviews, put them in a book, slap them together and say, look at this. I'm not going to do that. That's a marketing hoax. It's a marketing hoax. This book now is $16.80 on Amazon, and I want to make sure it's worth every penny of it. But even more than that, it's attempted to really jumpstart a discussion among we the people, just like the colonists had discussions. When they were reading their pamphlets, a handful of newspapers, had discussions around their dinner tables or in pubs and in our case restaurants, that sort of thing. That's my hope. Because I know there's millions and millions of you who are furious with what's taking place here. Millions of you. We do not have a free press. We have a media. There's a difference. A free press really is interested in advancing the very principles that create this magnificent society. That doesn't mean everybody has to agree with what should be the future or how to pursue it or whatever. But we now have a press in this country that is aligned with a single party. And that single party has as its purpose to fundamentally change our nation in ways that are, that, that are uh, uh, conflict with our founding and our Constitution. So it's basically become the mouthpiece for fundamental transformation. We need to understand this. We need to digest this. We need to understand when we're watching TV what's being thrown at us. Well, lies, Mark. No, no, we need to understand more than that. How conniving this is. Where this comes from. How they think. Why they think the way they think. And we need to counter this. We need to... You know, I was asked today, I was interviewed today for a totally different matter. Um, I was asked today, uh, what, what, uh, what do I consider so important to this society? I said, the press. 
gentleman said, the press. I said, the press. It's an enormous force. It's got enormous power, particularly in modern times, technology with television and radio and iPhones and all the rest. We are overwhelmed with information. But we're also really overwhelmed with propaganda. And when the president talks about fake news, you see the the so-called intellectuals and elites in the media don't understand. The president viscerally understands fake news. This is what Professor Daniel Borstein meant when he was talking about pseudo-events. They create fake events. The president calls it fake news. He's right on. And so much of what we receive is a concoction. So a committee subpoenas somebody, and so we hear about this all day long, so they know how to play the media, they know how to play the news cycle, and they know how to play it in a way that their friends in the media are going to promote it. And you pile up enough of those subpoenas, and then you have, quote-unquote, a constitutional crisis on your hands. There's no crisis. There's no collusion. There's no obstruction. It's all fake. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. We are, uh, just so you know, also reaching out to uh, most of our affiliates, all of our affiliates, uh, to let them know uh, that we want to make this case and press it. So I hope you'll uh, hope you'll stick with us. Now, now I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm looking at the news here. I'm looking at what's taking place. We have the Democrats who want to get a hold of the president's financing their finances. We have an Obama judge who's overseeing the case, and the Obama judge is trying to expedite the case. Now, why is the Obama judge trying to expedite the case? Anybody know? Raise your hand. Right, to give the Democrats in the House what they want as fast as they want it. Of course, this sort of thing will be appealed, the D.C. Circuit and then the U.S. Supreme Court. But here's the story from Law and Crime President Trump's attorneys had some thoughts for the Barack Obama-appointed federal judge who decided to quicken the pace of certain proceedings in the ongoing struggle between Team Trump and House Democrats. If you were paying attention last Thursday afternoon, May 9, Judge Amit Mehta, 
entered an order revealing that it was his plan to fast-track Trump's attempt to stop finance firm Mazars USA from complying with a congressional subpoena from the House Oversight Committee. They want, this is basically an accounting firm. This is basically an accounting firm. And Elijah Cummings wants all this incredible, I mean, detailed information about the president's private finances, his communications. It's really so outrageous. Meta said he was notifying the parties that the court intends to advance plaintiff's motion for preliminary injunction to trial on the merits, consolidate issues into a hearing because the count can discern no benefit from an additional round of legal arguments. So he's cutting out part of the process and combining what, he, what he's arguing. You make all your arguments in one combined argument. Last Thursday at 4 p.m., the court notified the parties that the hearing on plaintiff's motion for a preliminary injunction, that is the president's lawyer saying, uh, stop them, would also be the final trial on the merits. Because the hearing is tomorrow, the court's consolidation will force plaintiffs to try their case on only four days' notice with no discovery, with little opportunity to assemble evidence before defendants have filed a single pleading with no idea which facts are actually in dispute and without a round of briefing focused on their merits, they began. By the way, have you noticed how little this is covered by the fake news? While plaintiffs understand the court's desire to decide this case efficiently, resolving it in this way and on this schedule will severely prejudice plaintiffs. Put simply, proceeding in this fashion will deny plaintiffs a full and fair opportunity to assemble a record and brief the merits of their constitutional claim. Why is the judge in such a hurry? Again, he wants to deliver for the Democrats in the House. It's an Obama judge. Trump lawyers added that they respectfully oppose consolidation because consolidation on such short notice would undermine plaintiffs' constitutional due process rights. And why shouldn't they be able to depose members of Congress and their staff, among others, to find out what's truly going on here? Because the court doesn't want them to. So they want to limit the hearing, motion for preliminary injunction. They don't want to turn it into a, in effect, a trial yet. The House Oversight Committee subpoenaed Mazars USA for Trump's financial documents, including statements of financial conditions. And you know, we read that to you. It's really incredibly outrageous. And I want this judge to know, apparently said today, I, I'm not aware uh, since 1860 or 1880 of, uh, of the court ever uh, deciding against Congress on a subpoena. Let me tell you something, judge. That's irrelevant. Tell me, judge, when is the last time a committee of Congress sought the private financial records of a president of the United States this way so extensively? There's no legislative purpose whatsoever. I noticed they didn't do it to Obama, Mr. Mr. Obama, Judge. Notice that? We're very concerned about the way our financial system's working. Well, they weren't concerned about it under Obama, were they? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody.
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. All day long. Not all day long. All year long. All last year long. All day long since this man has been elected president of the United States. All we talk about is the Democrat agenda, the media agenda, collusion, obstruction, subpoenas, court cases about subpoenas. On and on and on and on. It has no positive effect on society. None. It has no relationship to how we live our lives as individuals, as families, as communities. None. It has no reality related to the, the dangers we face throughout the world, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, etc. Look at this. It's an absolute disaster. These people in Washington, D.C., primarily other cities too, New York, Los Angeles, but primarily in Washington, D.C., this is their industry. Government and media. Government and media. And they're like Siamese twins. You better not cut the government. You better not cut taxes and funds flowing to the government. You better not eliminate any department or agency. You better not change the way Washington works. We've got all these incestuous relationships taking place. And we've got a meeting in the back pocket of the Democrat Party. And the more radical the party, the more radical the media, and vice versa. And they champion somebody like AOC. And I'm going to get to this. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, let's see where we have it here. The reason why I talk so much about Talib and Omar and AOC, is these are creations of the media, these three stooges. They are creations of the media. And they are nasty people. Nasty, nasty, punk people. Not because of their race, because of their religion, not because of their genitalia, but because of what's between their ears and what comes out of their mouths. Ignorant, nasty people. And the media celebrate them. The media celebrate them. Anti-Semites, bigots, and the Democrat Party today is in full-throated defense of these people. Full-throated defense. And they're becoming celebrities. Front pages of magazines, going to late-night programs. Again, this has no relationship to the reality of what goes on in America. None. But I want you to hear, because we're going to break this down as only we can here, Rashida Tlaib again. This time she's on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Now, Seth Meyers is Jewish, or at least I think he is. But more to the point, he's a leftist. He's a liberal. And so he brings her on, not to seriously question her, because she wouldn't come on if he was going to seriously question her. He actually brings her on, not just to defend her, but to give her more time to repeat basically what she said. Cut three, go. You know, so for folks that don't know, don't know, I mean, my grandmother, my living grandmother, my mom's mom, lives in the West Bank and the occupied territories of Palestine. There is no West Bank and occupied territories of Palestine. 
if Seth Meyers knew his history, but he doesn't care. My mom's mom lives in the West Bank in occupied territories of Palestine. But your parents lived overseas. Why did they come to America? Obviously, to live in a freer country. And she trashes this country too, constantly. If you don't agree with her, if you criticize her, you're a racist. You're anti-Muslim. I don't give a damn where her grandmother lives. In occupied territories of Palestine and the West Bank. That is a mouthful of BS right there. Go ahead. What's incredibly, you know, the tragedy of the Holocaust. I mean, the reason why Israel was created is create a safe haven for Jews around the world. Israel, the development of a homeland, occurred before the Third Reich, before World War II, before World War I. It can date back to approximately the 1880s. It had nothing to do. It wasn't created out of the Holocaust. And as a matter of fact, we talked about the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, the leading muckety-muck of the uh, so-called Palestinian Arabs. Remember? He was a close confidant, an ally of Adolf Hitler. He met Hitler. He met Himmler. He had the same intention as them, to wipe out all the Jews, but for him in the Middle East. And the Muslims formed, uh, 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 formed a military unit. They slaughtered 12 to 14,000 Bosnian Jews. And the Grand Mufti was involved in the slaughter of hundreds and hundreds of Jews in Israel, what is today Israel. But she repeats her damnable lie, and Seth Meyers, this is the problem with having a, a lounge act by the name of Seth Myers, a bad comedian, getting into politics, trying to get into this. This is why a Johnny Carson would never have done it, a Steve Allen would never have done it, a Jay Leno never would have done it. But these lightweights, Seth Myers, Colbert, and so forth, who don't know a damn thing, but no knee-jerk liberalism. They bring on a bigoted anti-Semite to give her airtime. They would never do it with David Duke. Never. Go ahead. And there is something, like, in many ways beautiful about that my ancestors, many had died or had to give up their livelihood, their human dignity to provide a safe haven for, for Jews in our world. This, this, is, this is so thoroughly outrageous. So thoroughly outrageous that they gave up their land for the Jews after World War II. The Jews were not only there thousands of years ago, the Jews were there before these Palestinian Arabs. There were no Palestinian Arab communities, towns, villages, capital, nothing. Seth Myers, why don't you come on my program? By the way, did 60 Minutes ever take our hook, Mr. Producer? No, we never heard from 60 Minutes. And we're not going to hear from 60 Minutes. It's not going to happen. I want you to contact the Seth Meyers show and ask him if he'll come on my program, okay? I'm quite serious. So we can discuss this issue with him, because he's an ignoramus. Go ahead. 
And that is something that I wanted to recognize and kind of honor in some sort of way. But I also think it's important because I want Palestinian people also to find some sort of, you know, light in this kind of what's happening. But also, first of all, she's she's incoherent. She's uh, illiterate. Some light in kind of what's happening. Go ahead. You know, in the end, I said, I want all of us to feel safe. All of us deserve human dignity. All right. So after lying about it, now, all of us deserve human dignity, you see, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, if you want human dignity, you know where to go, right? The Gaza Strip or the, the areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority. Now, there, there's where you get human dignity, right? Hamas, terrorist organization. The only place where there is human dignity is in the state of Israel. You're not going to find it in any Arab-slash-Muslim country in the Middle East. Not one. Not one. The Arabs-slash-Muslims in Israel, they get to vote. The court system applies to them. They're treated like actual human beings and citizens. How about the Jews? How are they treated by by the uh, Palestinians? There aren't any Jews in the Gaza Strip. You know why? They'd, be, they'd have their throats slit. There aren't any Jews in the Palestinian Authority. You know why? They'd have their throats slit. Go ahead. Our backgrounds, no matter our ethnicity, no matter even our political opinions, we all need deserve that kind of equality and justice. And, uh, you know, for me, I wanted to uplift that and, and bring that to light. And it was unfortunate. You know, now, this I is a woman who was with a mouthpiece for Hezbollah. What was it, a couple months ago, Rich? At some event or celebrating a mouthpiece for Hezbollah. Hezbollah is the terrorist militia wing of the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Hezbollah. Remember all those Marines that died in Lebanon? It's believed that was Hezbollah. Remember all those men who died in Iraq? From those various explosive devices, they were developed, most of them, in Iran. But she cares about equality and justice. She doesn't talk about equality and justice in the Arab world or in the Muslim world in the Middle East. Not once. No. Those damn Jews, after the Holocaust, my family had to give up their land. Some of them had to give up their lives so we could make a homeland for them. She is sick, and she's a liar. Go ahead. Friend who's like, hey, next time, you know, really clarify, maybe talk like a fourth fourth grader because maybe the racist idiots would understand you better. That's the problem. See, we're all MFers here. Remember that? Maybe the racist idiots who don't agree with me will understand you better. But I want equality and justice. Talk like a fourth grader, you know, so all of us can follow this genius. Rashida Talib, The future of the Democrat Party. Go ahead. So it's just, the clapping you know, seals in the audience. See that you can, guys. The clapping seals in the audience. See you can. You can stuff your audience when you're a, when you're a Seth Meyers or something like that. Load up your audience with leftists, with leftists, with morons. Go ahead. To power and continue to uplift my grandmother uh, through love, uh, and that's okay, all I thanks. Can do. She wants to uplift her grandmother through love. While she spews hate. And spews a lot of hate. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The Democrats today rally behind Rashida Tlaib. They rally behind her. New York Post 
Democratic leaders were rushing to the defense of freshman Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib on Monday after she got blasted by Republicans, including President Trump, for comments she made about Jews moving into Palestine after the Holocaust. Quote, Republicans' desperate attempts to smear Representative Rashida misrepresent her comments are outrageous, tweeted House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. President Donald Trump and House GOP should apologize to Representative Tlaib and the American people for their gross misrepresentations. There's Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi defending an anti-Semite. Second time now. Her and Omar. With that phony resolution. Speaking to The Hill in an email, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said, if you read Representative Talid's comments, it's clear that President Trump and congressional Republicans are taking them out of context. They must stop, and they owe her an apology. Well, there's an independent thinker, and also low IQ. What about it, Stempy Hoyer? What about her history lesson? What about a Nancy Pelosi? What about her history lesson? You two are everywhere, but you refuse to come on any of my shows. Why is that? Why are you such damn cowards? I'll even talk to you as a fourth grader, to quote the great Talib. Talib, a Palestinian-American who represents districts in Detroit, was criticized over the weekend by House Republicans, including Minority Whip Steve Scalise and Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney for comments she made on the Yahoo News podcast, Skullduggery, and the two idiot so-called reporters, Isakoff and Clayman, interviewing her. Didn't even have the ability to confront her with facts and history. With facts and history. She says, hearing Friday, well, I'm not going to repeat. We played it already. Numerous Democrats rallied behind Tlaib after Trump fired off his tweet. So here we have Trump, who's accused of being an anti-Semite and a racist, pointing out an anti-Semite and a bigot, and they attack him. Trump. Numerous Democrats rallied behind Tlaib after Trump fired off his tweet. His supporters included Representatives Mark Pocan, Democrat Wisconsin, Earl Blumeyer, Democrat Oregon, and Ilhan Omar, bigot, Minnesota. Tlaib and Omar are the only two Muslim women in Congress. What's that have to do with anything? What's that have to do with anything? This is another transparent attempt to sow division between minority communities and distract from your own criminal behavior by smearing a Muslim woman, Omar tweeted. She's sick. Both Talib and Omar have been accused of saying things that have been deemed anti-Semitic. In some cases, people on both sides of the aisle have said so. In their defense, Democrats continue to claim that the comments are being taken out of context. Well, let me tell you what's not taken out of context. She's now lied about the history of that area. That the poor Palestinians, they gave up all their land so the Jews could come back after the Holocaust. And as a result, they're now the victims. That's not what happened. The Jews began moving back into the area about 150 years ago. Arabs started to follow them because they wanted jobs and so forth. As the Jews were actually creating functioning communities. That's what was taking place. Liar. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Brent Bozell and the Media Research Center put together a pretty amazing trip this September, folks. They booked a cruise to the Mediterranean, and a lot of people, including many people from this audience, have already signed up to join them. The speaker lineup is really terrific. It's top-notch, and it just got even better. They already have our buddy Brent, plus Alan West, Cal Thomas, Jason Chavitz, Joe Piscopo, and many others. And they recently announced that the Honorable James Buckley, Bill Buckley's older brother, will be joining them. Jim Buckley is a true legend. As far as I know, is the only living person to have served in senior roles in all three branches of the federal government. He was a United States senator from New York, got elected on the ticket of the conservative party, by the way. He was an undersecretary of state under President Reagan, and in 1985, he was nominated by Reagan to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It's an extraordinary individual, and imagine the stories he can tell. And I recommend right now that you go to mrccruise.com and read Judge Buckley's bio. And by the way, isn't it time to give yourself a gift, a vacation, you and your spouse, your significant other, whomever? Isn't it time, seriously, to take a little rest from all this, to join these wonderful people on their cruise? I'm telling you, give yourself a present. Then book yourself a cabin after you go to mrccruise.com before they sell out, and they will. You can also call them at 888-MRC-TRIP and get all your questions answered. Go to mrccruise.com right now for all the details. That's mrccruise.com or give them a call 888-MRC-TRIP, 888-MRC-TRIP. It's going to be a fabulous trip. You know, the food's going to be wonderful, the cruise, the places you stop are going to be wonderful, but even more, you're going to be on this cruise with people of like mind and have wonderful discussions and make forever friendships. I know that's what happens on the MRC cruises. 888-MRC-TRIP. Stay with us. We'll be right back. That Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, and confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. And you, ha- you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, you, my listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free, for free, at this exclusive website, ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, and that's for sure. That is for sure. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we have a constitutional crisis because the Democrats don't believe in separation of powers. Apparently, neither do Obama judges. I don't, I don't trust this guy 
in Washington, D.C. now, speeding everything along, uh, really undermining the ability of the president and the executive branch to uh, defend themselves. It's really a, a, another grotesque miscarriage of justice. And we are swamped with these Obama judges that have tried to thwart the president's policies, legitimate policies on immigration, uh, his legitimate policies on EPA regulations, just one after another. These district court judges think they have all this power. They put in injunctions. They do other things that to uh, prevent the president of the United States from implementing his policies that he was elected on. Under some subterfuge, they come in with some pretext. But, you know, because the president seeks to defend the office of the presidency and the executive branch, and he seeks to defend himself from these outrageous subpoenas flying in every direction, which are all part of the Democrat Party's 2020 campaign opposition research. Of course, the media play along. The media and the Democrats claim we're in a constitutional crisis. Here we have a montage from Newsbusters. Cut for go. If it's a constitutional crisis, that sounds bad to me. <laughs> so now you hear the term constitutional crisis. You know, you hear this word constitutional crisis. A little constitutional crisis. What exactly counts as a constitutional crisis? Are we in a constitutional crisis? Mm. Is this a constitutional crisis? I think it's a constitutional confrontation. Constitutional stress test. Constitutional showdown. Constitutional confrontation. Confrontational crisis. Do you agree with Chairman Yatler that the country is currently in a constitutional crisis? Yes. It's a constitutional crisis, okay? Constitutional crisis is no longer a hypothetical. The country is in a constitutional crisis. The official Trump constitutional crisis. Folks, a constitutional crisis. Behind door number two, you have a constitutional crisis. Ever wonder what a constitutional crisis looks and like? And by the way, folks, these are the same people who brought you collusion. Remember? Collusion, 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 obstruction, obstruction. Now we have a constitutional crisis, crisis, crisis. Do you ever wonder why people are able to put these montages together, and we do too, and we play them for you? Why all the media outlets sound exactly alike? Why they use exactly the same words? Have you ever wondered why? They're all progressives. They're all social activists. That's what these newsrooms have become. Again, we don't have a free press. We have a media. If you've heard one, you've heard them all. The strength with which these montages underscore the point is really quite remarkable. I don't play them because they're funny. I play them because they prove a point. Go ahead. Total end of democracy. Well, open your eyes. If this is a constitutional crisis, how can Democrats not move forward with impeachment hearings? We have the option of impeachment, and we think this is a constitutional crisis. Start impeachment proceedings. Why not pursue impeachment? Why are you resisting? Some people would argue we've been in a constitutional crisis since Donald Trump was elected president. Mm-hmm. Since he was elected president, we've been in a constitutional crisis. This is your media. Media, it's absolutely sickening. And then, of course, they celebrate people like AOC. They even give her initials, AOC, like LBJ and JFK, RG3, AACH, 29 years old and as dumb as they come. In a rally in Washington, D.C. yesterday on the New Green Deal, or the Green New Deal, it's all red. 
It's all one form of Marxism or, or another. Cut 10, go. It was reported today that this weekend, for the first time in human history, we have reached atmospheric levels of carbon at 415 parts per million. Now let's stop a second. What does that mean? And how do we know it's the first time since the beginning of man? We're not even clear when the beginning of man began. Did they keep records? Were they chiseling them on the cave walls? How do, how do we know this? We have no damn idea. None. But it doesn't matter. Go ahead. This has never been seen in recorded human history. In fact, so how long back does recorded human history go? She said it's never been seen, right, Mr. Producer? In human history. It's the first time in human history. And now this has never been seen in recorded human history. Well, which is it? Human history or recorded human history? And what the hell are they talking about? Go ahead. Eric Holthoss, and journalist, said simply about this measurement and development... We do not know a planet like this. What? We do not know a planet like this? What does that mean? You know, there's an infinite number of universes, which means there's an infinite number of planets. How would we know a planet like this? We've never gotten outside of our own universe. What are they talking about? I feel like this is a bad Star Trek movie. Our bad Star Trek program, I should say. Go ahead. The last time our planet hit 415 was in the Pliocene period. Oceans were 90 feet higher. Bacteria well, and... Well, oceans... De- no, oh, wait a minute. So why aren't they 90 feet higher right now, Mr. Producer? Let's keep listening. You know, I've come to conclude that the dumber the politician, you know, like Al Gore, the more they talk about this stuff. Go ahead. We have never seen before roamed the earth. Humans did not exist. We have never seen a planet like this. What are you rambling? Well, if humans didn't roam the earth and we have a higher 415 per parts per million of uh atmospheric levels of carbon. We've never seen anything like this, but humans are roaming the Earth. I believe there's seven billions of us. All kinds of mammals, reptiles, all kinds of things are roaming the Earth. So what the hell are you talking about? And why am I asking her? Go ahead. And a planet like this is exactly what we are going to get. And it is exactly why, what why, why must they always tear down things, always looking for, for things to attack the status quo, to attack society, uh, always talking in ter- emergency terms. We don't act quickly and we got to act now and put aside all your thinking or you're a denier or a racist or whatever. Just let's all rush into the void together. Uh, You've got to be nuts if we don't. We only have two, three, four years because the planet's going to be dead in 12 years. And I'm not joking, but I am joking. Bernie Sanders picks it up today. We really only have a short time. Do you know how old the Earth is, for God's sakes? It's over three billion years old. We only have two years, three years to get this done. 
two years or three years to put this in place. Otherwise, we're finished forever. Now, these are people, ladies and gentlemen. These are people, ladies and gentlemen. They can't tell the damn weather 10 years, uh, 10, uh, 10 days from now. It might rain. It may not rain. It's a long-term forecast. We don't know. But we do know this. Death in 12 years. I mean, and they really want to create a stampede, you see. They really want you to surrender your liberty. They really want you to surrender your property. They want you to surrender your free will. To them, this girl is a nut. Did I say nut? Yes, he said nut. Go ahead. ...are going to inherit from previous generations if we do not act Who is she talking to exactly? I'd be curious to know. Oh, a rally. Oh. She's talking to the mob. She wasn't done. Cut 11. Go. So often, you know, when folks, particularly conservatives on both sides of the aisle, say... (laughs) Conservatives on both sides. Oh, this must be quite a crowd. Did they all march in the same direction? Did they all march in, uh, in harmony? Are they all wearing the same color clothing? I'm just curious. Go ahead. When they say that calling for a Green New Deal is, quote, too much or too extreme or too radical, no middle ground ground is right. No middle ground. It's her way or the highway. Or should I say the subway? Her way or no way? Either everything is turned on its head. Either we shut down fossil fuels. Either we change your homes. Either we change your cars, limit your cars, change how you live, the amount of heat you get, the amount of air conditioning you get, the number of children you can have, whether or not you can eat meat. You either are all in or you're not with us. Now, let me tell you something. I'm telling you this. This is the great leap, the great leap forward in communist China. The great leap forward in communist China. Purity. Purity of ideology. You know, when we talk about freedom, I want to get purist. Freedom doesn't create purity. Freedom creates all kinds of diversity, people doing all kinds of different things and so forth. Freedom doesn't create uniformity and conformity. This does. You are listening to fascism right here. Got that mediaite? Got that media matters? You're listening to fascism right now. No middle road. None. We either destroy our capitalist system, we either degrowth, deindustrialize America, you live with less, you do what you're told. No middle ground. Go ahead. I'm always curious, but I'm always curious when they say that, oh, it's too much. What do they actually mean? By what that? we actually mean is our liberty. You clown. Our liberty, our free will, our prosperity. That's what we actually mean. We actually mean a civil society, not a centralized government with nimrods like you who think you know everything when you actually know nothing. You coward, which is exactly why you won't come on this radio show or any of my TV shows. Because you're a coward. You go on the Seth Meyers show. Hey, uh, you know what? What? Uh, Why do you put up with all these conservatives the way that you do? Well, let me tell you, Seth. 
Or you'll bring in Talib. Tell me, uh, 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 Representative Talib, isn't it awful how all these people are criticizing you for your anti-Semitic remarks? I mean, your 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 uh, remarks about justice and equality. Come on here, Ayah, for once in your three or four months in office. Deal with somebody who knows what they're talking about. You're going to go on Chuck Todd? You know what? I'm Chuck Todd. And even though I don't know a damn thing about climate or meteorology or physics or anything of the sort, having almost graduated college with a political science degree, listen, uh, we're not allowing any, uh, any uh, uh, man-made climate change deniers on our show. No, no. How about these physicists? No, not, not them. How about this PhD? No, they don't know what they're talking about. Too ignorant. I can't allow them on my program. Go ahead. Is 100% clean and renewable energy too much? Are you out of your mind? Do you support nuclear power? Because as far as I know, that's 100% clean. But it's not renewable. It creates all kinds of waste. So what is it that you're proposing? While you're destroying capitalism, you expect capitalism to create what you demand that it create? And all the people that... No! Am I right? Yes! I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I see all the code pink Republicans are out there trashing John Bolton. Like the president doesn't make decisions. John Bolton does. Are these people stupid? president's in charge. If you know anything about Trump, he's in charge. But they don't care. The code pink Republican. Get us into another war. They act like the left. We don't get us into wars. People attack us. People threaten us. People try to undermine our national sovereignty, our national security, our economic system. We don't go around looking for wars. That's what the left says. I'm sick and tired of these code pink Republicans. They sound like Aach. You know, I don't know where to start. You'd think with hard evidence from Mueller that there was no collusion. The Democratic Party media would finally back off and crawl back into the hole they came from. But instead, they're saying it's not over, that the fight's just getting started. Well, guess what? We're ready to fight, too. Now, if you listen to my shows for any length of time on Levin TV, you know I'm unapologetically pro-Constitution, pro-Liberty, pro-America. I've always told you what I'm about, then I break down the stories I think you need to hear. And the media are furious that we pull all these people away from watching them on Levin TV. So where does it end? It ends when you say enough is enough and come check out what we're doing on Levin TV. Right now you can get a full 30 days to watch every show on the Blaze TV network, including Levin TV, absolutely free. If you decide to stick with us, use promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, to get a full year for less than 8 bucks a month. Start your free trial now. Start your free trial now. Give us a call at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. Or you can go on the website, blazetv.com, blazetv.com. Either way, you really ought to get started. 844-L-E-V-I-N, that's LEVIN-TV. Let's get back, shall we? Let's get back. 
More on her rally. Cut 12, Mr. Producer. That's Ayach. Go. For years of denial and years of abdication of leadership and responsibility, we finally are stepping into that void. What void, you idiot? Stepping into what void? To do what? What are you talking about? Do you even know about photosynthesis? Do you, did you actually take science in eighth grade? Do you know anything? We're going to step into that void, ladies and gentlemen. And what are you going to do in that void? All you little radical left-wing kooks, what are you going to do? We're going to change the technology. You're incapable of doing anything. You don't actually work in technology companies, do you? What is it that you're going to do exactly? Go ahead. For ourselves, and we will change this country, and we will change the future to be more just. Because the logic that we are fighting against right now, this is not just about putting solar panels on our homes. We are fighting against a logic that says poisoning and giving communities cancer is okay. Nobody says it's okay, you dimwit. This is the future of the Democrat Party, her, Omar, Talib. Oh, wow. The three stooges of the left. That'll be fine. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Let's Let's do a little mind test here. The Green New Deal or the New Green Deal, it's all a bunch of, it's all a bunch of uh, schlemiel anyway. How is this going to work as a practical matter? Who's going to be in charge of changing all the public buildings, all the private buildings, all the businesses, all the private homes? Who is going to be in charge of setting the rules? Who's going to be in charge of enforcing them. Are we going to hire tens of millions of people who go around and check your homes? Are we going to have to send copies of our utility bills to an IRS equivalent department or agency? Now, how are we going to pay for all these changes to our homes? And what are all these changes to our homes? Do we have to change our windows? Do we have to change our insulation? Do we have to change our roofs? What do we have to change exactly before we agree to any of this? Don't we have a right to know? What exactly is the plan? You know, you don't build a house or buy a house and people say, hey, we're going to have a great house. Okay, what's it look like? Hey, we're going to have a great house. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to have clean air and clean water. It's going to be great. But what's it look like? Hey, it's just going to be a great house. Okay, I'm, let's go on. What if you can't afford to make the changes that are mandated? What happens then? Oh, they'll be subsidized. Do you know how many homes there are in this country, whether we're talking about single-family homes or duplexes or townhomes or condos, apartments? Do you know how many places people live, what kind of homes there are and so forth? Who's going to make all these changes? 
Are there enough people in these various professions to do it? Electricians and plumbers and roofers and carpenters and, and on and on and on? Where are they going to come from? Are they going to be trained? Who's going to train them? Are we going to have limits on how much heat we can use in the winter and how much air conditioning we can use in the summer? I assume we will. <coughs> Excuse me, I assume we will. Exactly which department is going to be in charge of this? A new department? Where's that department going to be located? In Washington? How are the people in Washington, D.C. going to know about homes in Montana? As well as homes in Hawaii, homes in Florida, as well as homes in Maine. (coughs) Excuse me again. They're built differently for a reason. Different kinds of climate and so forth. It's very complicated, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? What happens with new homes? Will all new home construction and architecture had to be approved by the federal government? Will it? Certain types of roofs going to have to be used? Certain roof lines? Are all architects and so forth going to have to get some kind of a new federal certificate to make sure that they are acceptable to the federal government in terms of what it is that they are creating? How about state law, but particularly local zoning rules? Are they going to be nationalized? Are we going to limit how many acres a home can have, depending on how many members of family there are? A single-family home can't be on five or ten acres. Are we going to have an effort to determine what kind of density we have in our communities in order to limit the amount of land that's used and limit the size of homes? How about cars? Remember, this is the Green New Deal. It affects everything. Are we going to limit the number of cars a family can have or an individual can have? The types of cars? They all have to be approved by the government in order, of course, keep the air clean. Is that what's going to take place? If we're not going to use fossil fuels to fuel automobiles, and we can't use electricity because we need coal and natural gas to create electricity because we know we get rid of all these hydroelectric dams. We can't have those anymore either. Can't have nuclear power either. So this magical energy, wherever it's going to come from, do we have any cars designed to actually receive this magical energy? Well, all communities have to be built around and near public transportation now? Is that the plan? They talked about that like 10 years ago. You might remember, Mr. Producer. Is that the plan? Homes are affected. Cars are affected. How about truckers who move our food and so many other things from one part of the country to the other? How are they going to be regulated? You ever see one of these trucks that do cross-country drives? And halls, you ever see them? They got like 14 different sets of numbers on the side of the truck. They're already regulated into hell. They'll be regulated more, of course. Well, I guess they're all going to lose their jobs, aren't they? Because we're not going to use fossil fuels anymore. We're going to get rid of them in 5, 10, 12. We've got to get rid of everything within 12 years. All those men and women will be put out of work. All of them. Uber will cease to exist. The taxi cab industry will cease to exist. You're going to have to get government approval to purchase a car now, purchase a plane. Oh, boats? No more boats. Boats are useless. They're pointless. They 
They pollute rivers, streams, they pollute lakes, they pollute the ocean. People just want to have fun. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the biggest scam of scams. This is the biggest scam of scams. This is a backdoor through which the Marxist left, they can call themselves whatever they want, but listen closely to the words. There is no middle ground. We're going to do it all now. It's time to fill a gap. Who do they sound like? This is the biggest scam this country has ever confronted. And it will destroy your lifestyle. It will destroy our kind of government and the nature of our government. It'll be everywhere. It'll be ubiquitous. It'll be making every single decision. And when I say it, I don't even know who these people are. I don't even know what they're going to set up. But they're going to have to hire millions of people. Millions. Let's move on to the next idea. Medicare for all. Those of you on Medicare, you paid into Medicare for decades. Those of you who work for a living, not talking about everyone on the dole now. Those of you who work for a living, you've been paying into Medicare for your entire work career. All of a sudden, that's all going to go away. Poof! None of it will matter. Because Medicare for all means Medicare for nobody. They're so dishonest about what they're doing, they have to call it Medicare for all because they know you seniors like Medicare. They're going to eliminate Medicare. They're going to eliminate Medicaid. They're going to eliminate all this stuff. What they're going to basically do is take the VA and nationalize all health care under that formula. Government-controlled hospitals. Government-controlled um, Uh, doctors for that matter, government-controlled nurses. You're all going to have to get your licenses down the road. In order to work for the government, you become part of the government. They'll control what your salaries are. They'll control your working conditions. They'll control where you are. We have a doctor shortage in, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, Boise, Idaho. Okay, so you guys in Boston, you're going to, I don't want to go. Well, you are going. Your life ceases to be your own because, you know, health care is a right now. And so the only way to implement a right is to compel other people to lose their rights. Doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, all up and down the medical profession line, which, of course, will create shortages because nobody's going to want to do it. It takes a lot of work to become a doctor. It takes no work at all to get elected to office. Well, campaigning, but who cares? But how is this going to work? Is the government going to approve every single procedure, surgery, Inpatient, outpatient, every single drug, who gets, who doesn't get. Remember what Sally Pipe said on my show on Fox. In Britain, they give a value to a life. They give a numerical value to a life. If you're old and sick, in other words, you're somebody who needs medical care. Most people who need it are old and sick. Not all, but most. The value of life is less than somebody who is young and not sick. And so let's say you have some horrific form of cancer and you're 78 years old. Then they give you a year, maybe. And there's some drug out there that might maybe cost $5,000, $6,000 a month. And they value uh, your life below whatever the cost of that drug is over a 6 to 12-month period. You're not going to get it. That's the way it works in Britain. So you'll spend your, 
your last days fighting the bureaucracy in the federal government to try and get a drug. It'll make the insurance companies look like uh, Santa Claus by the time they're done. So for the patients, it's rationing, it's shortages, and it's wait times, and for many, it's too late. All the compassion in the humanity is removed because everybody's working on a clock, everybody's reporting to the federal government, everybody's having to fill out forms, and everybody's in a hurry. They don't know why they're in a hurry, but everybody's in a hurry. And who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going to run Medicare for all, single-payer national universal system, free medicine for everybody? Who's going to run it? Which department, which agency? And who are the geniuses going to be that are appointed to run these agencies? You don't even know them. If we just step back and analyze what they're proposing, they're proposing nothing and everything. Everything in that it's all about power and seizing control and seizing wealth and seizing your liberty. Nothing in that they tell us nothing about how this is actually going to work. Is this how you function in your own life? Is this how you function in a business or a union or whatever it is? Of course not. You need some organization. You need something. They don't tell us. They don't tell us because they don't know. Because it doesn't matter. Just grab the power. Grab your liberty. Grab your individualism. Grab all the decision making and we'll figure it out later. And if we haven't grabbed enough, we'll grab more. Again, I often wonder, we have the greatest country that man has ever established, ever. Look around you. If you need medical care tonight, you can get medical care tonight. If you need something to eat tonight, you can get something to eat tonight. These are the basics, medical care, eating. If you need shelter tonight, you can get shelter tonight. If you need to go somewhere tonight, mobility, you can go somewhere tonight. These are the big things. Look around us. Man has never lived so well, and we don't even know it. You go through, people attack like fast food restaurants. Well, I don't eat that stuff. Well, who cares? Go to a drive-thru and think about it. Think about how quick it is. Think about how fast you get French fries or a hamburger or a fish sandwich or a salad or a... It's handed to you, give them cash, and off you go. Do you know how rare that is around the world? And do you know the richest people, the most powerful people 200 years ago looking at this, what they would say? They said, this is unbelievable. You know, it's amazing. What do we do? We attack the fossil fuel in the car. We attack the existence of the car. We attack the fast food. We attack everything. And then it costs too much. We say, well, those cars are... Well, they raised the, raise the price, 29 cents, for God's sakes. If we put the same federal government in charge of McDonald's, we'd all starve to death. And it would cost us $50 a hamburger to starve to death. I'll be right back. Mark in. What a freak show we're living through, ladies and gentlemen. And it is that. It's an absolute freak show. And the biggest of the freaks, quite frankly, 
Bernie Sanders. Now, this guy, you know, 20 years ago, a guy that honeymooned in Moscow wouldn't have a chance at even being a senator, maybe 30 years ago, let alone a, uh, a serious candidate within the Democratic Party. But there you have it. Bernie Sanders yesterday. Let's let's go with cut 13. And by the way, I don't like all these cuts, but it makes more sense than reading what they say. You get to hear these idiots. Cut 13, go. When you're dealing with the future of the planet and making sure that our kids and our grandchildren have a healthy and habitable world in which to live. I don't know how you, you see this is, this is how it works. They stand for a healthy and habitable world. Kids and our grandkids. Is there a Marxist or socialist regime on the face of the earth where you want your kids to live? No. Why? Because it's not healthy and it's not habitable. That's why. That's why. I, I, I just, I shudder to think. This is such a magnificent time we live through with technology all around and we even have anti-technology. Te- what are we going to do? We're all going to lose our jobs. Do you see the uh, unemployment numbers? The lowest in modern history. The more technology we develop, the lower the unemployment. New assembly lines, new fabrication, new painting, maybe new wheels, new transportation. Everything relates. I mean, I feel like we're surrounded by Neanderthals. Some on the left, some on the other side. Just let it be. Let the people Leave us alone. Let us produce. Let us create. Let us have commerce among us, voluntary activity among us. We don't need to be regulated all the time. We don't need to be bullied and pushed around all the time. We don't need 29-year-olds screaming in our ears that in 12 years the world's coming to an end. We don't need an old man from Vermont, an old commie, telling us about the the, the uh, utopian days, the, the magnificent days of, uh, of centralized planning. And how everything is free and everybody lives so beautifully. And we're all dancing in, in, in flower fields and all the rest. It's, it's just insanity. Why destroy the greatest system on earth and replace it with the worst system on earth? It's not hard to destroy things. It's hard to build things. Bernie Sanders is incapable of understanding our economy. Most of us are incapable of understanding our economy. People are doing things every day. They're doing them right now as I speak that we don't understand, and yet they're going to improve our lives. They're going to improve our lives. We think we know everything. We know very little as as an individual. As a collective, doing our own thing, the system works. And And what's the glue that holds it all together? Believe it or not, it's freedom. When's the last time Bernie Sanders talked about freedom rather than free things? What's the last time the uh, Three Stooges talked about freedom rather than free things? They're two different things. They're two different For somebody to get something they haven't worked for means somebody else has to do the work for them to get something they haven't worked for. It's that simple. And they call, this is justice and equality. It's not justice and equality. It's fascism. Or some kind of ism. All these magnificent things that we're surrounded ourselves. You get up at 2 in the morning, you can't sleep, and you want to get a cup of coffee. You can get a cup of coffee. You can get in your car and you can go. There's things that we do in this society we take for granted. 
And there's more things we could do in this society if the government would get the hell out of the way. I'll be right back. Plastic conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Whether you've got a five-minute commute or you're road tripping across the country, you want to feel secure behind the wheel, right? That's why you need <coughs> excuse me, extended vehicle protection from CarShield, and we have that on our 2010 Camaro. You know, when cars get a lot of miles and they get older, they break down, whether you like it or not. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. So if your car is 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. CarShield administrators have paid out close to listen to this. $2 billion in claims, and they're ready to help you. Save yourself thousands in future car repairs. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like I did. Don't wait, because when you need a repair, it's too late. Call their new toll-free number, 800-CAR-6000, 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com, carshield.com, and use code LEVIN and you'll save 10%. So that's 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com, use code LEVIN. Either way, you'll save 10%. A deductible may apply. All right, Mr. Call Screener, Mr. Producer, give me a caller. We haven't had a caller all day. Who do you recommend? Daniel, Philadelphia, the great WPHT country. Go. Hey, uh, just want to say thank you for what you do. Um, and I wanted to ask you what you thought about something. So I was uh, listening to what you were talking about, about the Green New Deal and all that stuff. And it becomes it's become quite apparent to me that um, a lot of these things are just fake issues that are being propagated by the mainstream media and by Democrats. I want to know what you thought about that. And if that's if I'm off. Well, they're fake issues in the sense that they can never actually do them. But what they can do is take liberty and take money and destroy industry. That's the problem. And they and they hide it behind the Green New Deal. They come up with these phrases, which are really quite absurd. A Green New Deal. You know, do you realize five and a half percent of the country of the continental United States is actually developed? Are you aware of that? I was not. No, sir. Where do you live again? I'm living uh, in... In Philadelphia, Philadelphia. area? Yeah. Okay, you've, if you fly from Philadelphia to Los Angeles, there's a lot of country in between. And a lot of that country in, in between is pristine. The most dense state in the country is New Jersey. About one-third of New Jersey is developed. But I put this in my book, Liberty and Tyranny, early on. It was from a study by the Heritage Foundation several years ago. People don't understand... About 5.5% of the, of the land mass of the United States, of the continental United States, is actually developed. The rest of it's not. You wouldn't know that. About 30% of the land mass of the United States 
is controlled by the federal government. Are you aware of that? I was not, no. 30% of it. Wow. People act like, let's look at health care. Are you aware that 50% of health care is controlled by the federal government? 50% of people are either on federal health care or subsidized by the federal government. Are you aware of that? No, I didn't know it was that high. <laughs> are you aware that over 25% of the budget of most states, of all their spending, goes to Medicaid? Nope. Nobody, this is what I mean. People act like we don't have government. Well, what we need is more government, more government, more government. They're driving up the price of health care. They're driving up the price of policies. They're driving up deductibles. They're limiting the amount of choices we have in health care. And what they're saying is, trust us, give us more power. Didn't they tell us in 2010, give us Obamacare and we'll fix this? They got Obamacare. They didn't fix anything. They made it worse. Now that we have Medicare, which is over 50 years old, and they say they're going to defend Medicare, now they want to destroy Medicare in order to create a single-payer, European-style, government-run health care system. We know how lousy they are. Why would we trade in our system for that system? Green New Deal. For decades, we were talking about energy independence, not to rely on the Arabs and Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and so We actually now have energy independence. And what do they want to do? Destroy it. There was a day when the left used to complain that we don't have enough material wealth to go around, that we need to redistribute it. Today, they make the opposite argument, that we have too much material wealth, that we need to deindustrialize, we need to degrowth because we're creating pollution. Are we supposed to keep going with them when they have global cooling, global warming, climate change? You're going to need a neck brace by the time you're done. All of these are schemes and scams to separate you from your prosperity and success, to separate you from your individual liberty, to separate you from our founding principles, and to follow the Pied Piper of darkness and bleakness and failure and destruction. That's what's going on here. Does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Let's take another call, Mr. Jimmy. Sirius Satellite Jimmy from Alabama. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Mark. I just want to thank you so much for, for everything that you do. I, I just, it's amazing. When I listen to you, I listen to myself. <laughs> thank you. And, Jimmy, where are you in Alabama? I'm in Auburn. Yeah. Well, that's a nice area. I came back to Auburn. Well, it's nice, but I, you've hit on so many topics. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. VA is one thing. I'm part of the VA system. Moved up from South Florida, came up to Alabama to Central Alabama, and the VA is horrible here. And people want to talk about Medicare for all. I can tell you, you don't want it. When I was in South Florida, there were so many retirees down there, and doctors want to live in South Florida. That we had great medical, uh, but but come up here and 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 I, I got an appointment three weeks ago. My the first time I can see a doctor is July second. I mean, if holy man, and that, and that's the problem. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I wanted to go back to Tlaib. Let me tell you something. I lived in Jerusalem, Israel, from two thousand seven to two thousand ten. 
Mm. And and during that time, Hamas took over the Gaza Strip. I watched um, pastor friends of mine get beheaded and drugged through the oh, streets. Unbelievable. And let me tell you, Tlaib wants to talk about um, the, this equality, this, this, oh, she wants this, this lovely system for everybody. When her own people, I, I went into Ramallah. And, and would take groceries into people who, who were in hiding. This one girl had to hide her Bible in a mattress and was fed like a dog on the floor. And, and this is what they're wanting. It, it's just, it's beyond me. I, I just don't understand where this country is going. I, I mean, I've, been, I've lived it. And, and um, it, it just is. Let me, let me tell you, when you deal with people like AOC, you deal with people like Bernie Sanders, these people, they really have never experienced Americanism. They really haven't done enough or done anything where they're, where they're involved in our, our, our various systems, our various uh, businesses, our various so forth. They, they sit back and they make allegations. They sit back and they, and, they, um, and they talk about theories and abstractions. But they've never really participated in the American system. When you look at Talib... And you look at Omar, these people are coming here with a very, very big chip on their shoulder. And I don't know what motivates them, but they, they hate the very country that they come to. They hate the very system in which they are now members of Congress. And I've just reached the point, it's not really up to me to figure out their, their psychological issues. They just need to be defeated because of their ideology, as far as I'm concerned. God, Mark, I, I don't even know what's happened to our country. Look, I live, I live 25 miles from Tuskegee, Alabama. And, and where the Commodores came from, right? And, mm-hmm. and so I just find out that, that they had a um, terrorist training camp there. That, that guy who went out to, to um, New Mexico, they started in Tuskegee, Alabama. That, mm-hmm. that girl who wants to come back to Alabama, who went and joined, I mean, who brought these people here? Mm-hmm. Where, where, well, they brought themselves here. That's the irony. They hate this country so much. They wouldn't be here but for the fact they wanted to be here. Their parents wanted to be here. I mean, one escaped um, a refugee camp, and the other uh, escaped the uh, magnificent so-called Palestinian homeland. And um, here they are, trashing America. I've never seen anything like it. And they always have something in common. They hate America, and they hate the Jews. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah, and the Christians. And I want to talk about um, AOC. I love how you call her AOC. Look, I I mean, what she's doing, does she not know that God's in control? She wants to say the world's going to end in 12 years. Well, as a Jew and a Christian, you know, I I understand that that Hashem and and God is in control. Mm -hmm. She isn't. We're not. We're not going to. We're not going to destroy this planet any sooner than God wants it destroyed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. And where did this 12 years come from? Yeah, exactly. What happened I mean, to 14 years that? or 11 years? I have no idea. It's just crazy. But this is what's come to our country, to America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I love... That, that, that is the problem without, you don't control immigration. We sh- used to be able to choose who comes here. We used to insist on assimilation. There's a reason for that. If more and more people come here from more and more different parts of the world with their own cultures, escaping cultures, in other words, escaping cultures, that is, they're very bad cultures, and coming into this country and then clinging to their cultures and then trying to project them onto us, you don't have a country anymore. In, in, in Minnesota, who brought them all there to, to elect Omar? 
or, or to send Omar there. I don't know how this happened. I'd be curious to know. I'm sure CNN will be telling us anytime soon. Sir, don't hang up. I want to send you a copy of Unfreedom of the Press. I'll be signing all of these next week so we can get them to all you folks I've been giving them to. And all of the rest, you can go to Amazon.com and order your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. We're going to have a very, very big discussion about this huge problem in our country, which is the perversion of the media into an ideological and partisan mouthpiece. And we need to talk about it and break it down into little pieces and begin that discussion exactly the way the colonists did when this nation was founded. Thank you for your call, my friend. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. happiness is a good thing, isn't it? You know, since getting my ex chair, I love spending time in my office. I never realized how comfortable my old office chair was till I sat in an ex chair. Now I have the comfort and support my body needs, and because of that, I'm more productive than I ever imagined possible. X chair's secret is the dynamic variable lumbar support or DVL. This patented feature is what sets the X chair apart from every other office chair in the world. Ideal posture and support equals comfort. And when you're comfortable, the hours spent in the office honestly fly by. Switching to an X chair is the smartest business investment I've ever made, and it can be yours too. You need to feel the DVL difference for yourselves. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Even Barney likes it. Hear him in the background? Just go to xchairlevin.com right now. That's xchairlevin.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairlevin.com and use code XWHEELS, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-WHEELS with your chair. So that's xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, or give us a call, 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. Oops, that was the microphone. 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. I've often said, Mr. Producer, we are quasi-professionals here. Every day we're working on it, aren't we? We do our best. Who else do we have, Mr. Producer? Charles in Brooklyn, New York, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Very well, Mr. Levin. How are you? Very well. Thank you, sir. Um, I'm calling about the, the Screen New Deal. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer uh, who, who's been involved for quite a number of years in building systems design, commonly called HVAC. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact is that going back to the oil crisis or oil embargo, I should say, and so-called energy crisis in the early 70s, uh, there was a push, a start to really ramp up the efficiencies of systems and, uh, and buildings themselves. Uh-huh. Uh, it was uh, spearheaded by an engineering organization called ASHRAE. And over the years, um, these standards have been adopted by codes all across the United States and national mm-hmm. codes, as as well as local codes, 
and have been impl- implemented consistently. And New York City has a, a section in the DOB totally devoted to making sure new, for new construction, when plans are submitted, they meet either the prescriptive requirements of uh, uh, the code, typically it's ASHRAE or, and some modifications to it. Uh, it's adopted by states. New York State also adopted ASHRAE. And uh, even, uh, uh, well, not even, but 20 years ago, under the U.S. Green Building Council, a program called LEED was implemented that allows buildings to be accredited to certain efficiency standards. So all this sustainable design is always ongoing, is always improving, it's realistic, um, where manufacturers can meet minimum energy efficiency requirements with equipment that's produced. Buildings can put solar panels on, photovoltaics, whatever they can do to create uh, more efficiency, more efficient, safe, and uh, and usable buildings. So the concept is not new. Uh, so what this Green New Deal does just, uh, I guess, uh, uh, tries to uh, uh, just be irrational about the whole approach. But, uh, yeah, it'll rip it up from the bottom, and you'll have to start all over. And uh, national zoning, I'm not into that, are you? And what if they're wrong? And then every damn home, every damn business. I mean, I don't think people understand the the extent of the expense and the dislocation. And you have to tear these systems out of your ceilings and everything. I mean, this isn't so simple. So my point is that these systems have been meeting minimum efficiency standards that have. But they want to change the standards. That's That's the point. point. That's my point. And these efficient. It's not like. Uh, you know, the lack of efficiency costs money as well. Anybody who has, uh, you know, cars, you want to go from 20 miles a gallon to 80 miles a gallon. Efficiency costs uh, is a is a life cycle item that benefits one economically when applied correctly. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't know a lot of the details of what they want to do, but if it's lunacy, if it makes no economic sense, uh, then, then obviously it shouldn't be implemented. And my point was just to alert you and your listeners. I, th- I think uh, you're giving us excellent information, but honestly, I think we already know. I think we already know that when they come in and they want to change systems and all the rest, this is a massive undertaking, and I don't. Even, and, and the and the end result is absurd. The idea that man is having such an enormous impact on the climate is just stupid. It's It is unproven no matter what they say, no matter how many times they say it. All right. Good show. Good callers. I thank you all. Great listeners, too. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, all you great heroes out there. Please go to Amazon.com right now after the end of the program. Look up Unfreedom of the Press. I think we're number 18 on the list or something. Help us push it into the top 10 before release. It's up to you. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.